Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the book of Philippians. In this book, Paul calls the church in Philippi to live lives that reflect Christ, even in times of persecution. Remembering this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. He wouldn't have missed it because he understood something. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, he writes this. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, he, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. See, Paul writes to the Corinthians that he understands something spiritually. He understands that just because it sounds good, looks good, feels good, doesn't mean it is good. And there has to be a discerning spirit and an understanding of the Word of God to know what the truth is. We need this. I'm just telling you, we need it. I was sitting with my mother-in-law the other night, and, and not to get too far into it, but as we were talking, she started naming people she was listening to on TV. She says, what do you think about them? I just think they're so, oh, he's this particular guy. He speaks so well, and he just, every time I listen to him, I feel so good. And I said to her, so if you feel good, that makes it good. She said, well, not necessarily. I said, you know, there are people who say things that make us feel good that in the end, everything they said to us is completely empty and devoid and untrue of Scripture. And I said, that gentleman you're listening to is completely untrue of Scripture. He's not holding a scriptural stance. He uses Scripture, but if you understand Scripture, you know he's not using it appropriately. So what he's giving you is a bunch of junk that's doing nothing for you except making you feel good. Is that what you want? And she said, well, I don't know who to listen to then. So I gave her a list of names. Give her a bunch of people she can listen to because there are good guys out there that you can listen to. But you have to have that discernment because the world is filled with this and it's going to be more filled with this. And churches today are being filled with teachers who, who, who are just saying, hey, do what you want. As long as you're doing it you know, in the name of Jesus and you love him, it doesn't matter what you do. And, and so you have people in churches who are having babies out of wedlock and they're living in relationships outside of marriage. And, and now the big thing is, okay, well, you know what? Maybe God made you gay. He made you homosexual. It's okay. It's cool. No, it's not. It's not what the Scripture teaches. But they'll pass by the Scriptures that are true in order to tickle the ears of the listeners and to keep their crowd. And unfortunately, some of God's people are having their ears tickled and being drawn in by this stuff. We need this kind of discernment. We need the discernment like Paul who can say, you know what, something's wrong with this picture. And finally, Paul has enough. Could you like to be, could you imagine that? I would love to have been there to see that. Just Paul walking along, there she is following around. These men are servants of my most high God. Listen to them, they know the way of salvation. Paul just suddenly turned around and saying, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Get out. Well, the problem with all of this is that this demon possession of this girl has enabled her to do some things that was making money for people. She was able to foretell the future. She was a soothsayer. She could tell the, the future. And, and because of that, these people who were controlling her were making money off of her. 
And, and Paul, by rebuking that spirit, now has touched another sacred cow, right? Mammon. It's touched the money of these people, profiteers who are profit, profiting off of her. And, and because of that, they're angry. And they haul Paul and his companion Silas before the magistrates. Now, remember, Philippi is kind of like a little Rome. It works like little Rome. And they bring them before the magistrates just like they would in Rome. And they charge that they're forcing the people as Roman citizens to follow customs which were unlawful. And the result is that Paul and Silas are eventually thrown into prison after being stripped, beaten, and severely flogged, according to Acts chapter 16, verses 20 through 24. Let me just read that to you. It says, And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And that's kind of an important tidbit. Not only do they get beaten and flogged and everything else, but they put them in the deepest, darkest, dankest place in the dungeon that they possibly could. And on top of that, they put them into chains while they're there. There's no way of escape, in other words. They're in the darkest place you can possibly be. This is not of the Lord. It's dark. I'm in chains. I'm in bondage. This is not of the Lord. The Lord couldn't cause these circumstances. He wouldn't allow these circumstances. This cannot be God's thing. I'll wait. Because Acts 16 goes on to tell us that around midnight, while they're in this darkest, deepest place in the dungeon, in their chains, there's an earthquake. And, and all of the prison doors fly open. And all of the prisoners run out. They start to escape. Except for the Apostle Paul and Silas. They stay. Oh, by the way, I, as I recall in that passage, he's also singing at midnight. They're singing when it happens. Can you sing in the midst of darkness? Can you praise the Lord in the midst of your chains? Can you pray the Lord? Can you lift up your voice to him when things are the hardest that you've ever gone through and the darkest that you've gone through? That's what we need to do because that's what opens those doors. It isn't a song, but it's the attitude of the heart that allows the Lord to begin to work in this darkness in our circumstances. So they're singing, and, and the doors open, and everybody flees, but Paul and Silas, they don't. They stay. And as a result of staying, they have this unique opportunity of sharing the gospel with the jailer who's fearing for his life, and he comes to the Lord. Here's what it tells us, Acts chapter 20, uh, 16, verse 25. Acts 16, 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. See, he had to because he would be held accountable under Roman law. They would execute him for allowing the prisoners to get free. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a, light, for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Obviously, he heard the singing too. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his, all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So, because Paul didn't run from the circumstances... Because Paul wasn't so quick to judge the circumstances and he continued to do what he needed to do in the midst of the circumstances, including staying in the prison cell. He has an opportunity to share the gospel with this guy. And not only this jailer, this Philippian jailer, but his whole household comes to the Lord as a result of Paul's faith and Paul's faithfulness to the Lord in the midst of it. And then we know afterwards that Paul makes a point about his Roman citizenship to the magistrates who are wishing simply to get them off their hands. And the missionaries were released and they go home to the home of Lydia where they stay for a little bit and then they depart for Apollonia and Thessalonica where they continue on with their ministries. But here's the point. All of these events combined describe how the church in Philippi was, was born and how it was established. It begins, I, I jokingly like to say, it really wasn't a man from Macedonia. It's the only part of the vision that Paul got wrong. It was a woman from Macedonia that was saying, come over here and help us because the woman was Lydia, right? But in reality, it may have been the Philippian jailer. Who knows? It's, it's God was saying, come here because I want to plant a church here. It's not where you wanted to go. It's not what you were thinking, but it's here where I want to do the work. Don't you want to be led, whether it's church planning or it's just your ministry and service to the Lord? Don't you want to be where God wants you to be rather than where you think you need to be? Paul would have just pressed on and said, well, I'm going to do this anyways and go into Asia and Bithynia. God might have done something for him there, but God wanted him in Macedonia because God was going to begin the gospel outreach to all of Europe. And, and because Paul goes, a church is born out of darkness, out of darkness. Now, it's uncertain how much time Paul spends ministering to the believers in Philippi. We really don't know that. But, but it's going to become clear from the letter that we're about to study that, that it was enough time for him to develop a deep love relationship with them. There are very few letters that Paul will write that will communicate the kind of affection that Paul communicates to this group of believers. Now, let's talk about the letter itself. Time and location of the writing, uh, you know, the particulars surrounding the place of the writing and also the date, they're, they're somewhat unclear, and there's some divergent views about when it was written and from the exact location it was written. But what is clear is that Paul was writing to them from prison. He's in prison again when he's writing this letter, not in Philippi, but somewhere else. Most people believe it was Rome. I tend to believe he was writing on his imprisonment in Rome to them. But we know from Philippians 1.7 and verse 13 and, and verse 17 that Paul makes clear reference that he's writing to them from prison. And, 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 and we also know from Philippians 4.18 that the Philippians knew where he was where he was being held in prison because they send Epaphroditus to him to minister to him while he's in prison because Paul makes mention of Epaphroditus, his ministry to him, and he thanks them for sending him to him. Now, again, most accept the idea that Paul's writing from Rome and, Ro and, and Rome, this being the case, the date of the letter is probably sometime between 60 and 62 A.D., somewhere in that time frame, perhaps toward the end of his imprisonment since he seems to allude to, to a speedy release and his desire to come and visit them. Just something to think about. I, I didn't pick this up, but my wife said it to me. She said, you know what? This letter must have really been special to the Philippians and had an impact on them because they would have remembered that Paul's ministry to them really in a lot of ways began out of prison in Philippi 
you know, the most dramatic event took place in prison while he was in Philippi. And now he's writing to these believers who literally were birthed as a church out of his prison imprisonment in Philippi. Now they're getting a letter from him while he's in prison again. Do you think maybe they were thinking, wow, I wonder if God's going to do this again where Paul is? I wonder if he's going to birth another church in the same way he did here. Maybe they were thinking that. Who knows? But they, they likely weren't seeing this as a terrible thing. And Paul is going to make clear that his circumstances are not terrible. That God did it before, God's going to do it again. He works through those circumstances, you see. I, I really pray that we could get that heart. You know, I wish we, we could get that heart of, of Genesis 50, verse 20, where Joseph is speaking to his brothers about his own difficult circumstances. And he says to them, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. People can do awful things to us. Satan can do awful things to us. The world can do awful things to us. But this is the heart we need. Even though it was meant as evil against me, God meant it for good because he wants to use it to save others. He wants to use my circumstances to save others. I say again, Genesis 50 and verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You do not know where it all leads. You do not know how God will use it if we become putty in his hands to be used, whether in life or death. Amen? Amen. So this probably meant a lot to these people. So they got it from Paul. And if it didn't, Paul's going to make it clear. Yep, prison's bad to you. Prison works out pretty good for me in the end because people get saved. Now, as Paul, as Paul writes this letter, you know, there are several Holy Spirit-inspired objectives that seem to be on Paul's heart as he wrote this letter, and maybe even more. I'll just give you a few that I've gleaned out of this first. It's clear that Paul wanted the church to know how things were going for him in his imprisonment because he begins to talk about that in Philippians 1, and what his plans were should he be released. He begins to talk about that in Philippians chapter 2. Second, there appears to have been some discord and division in the church, and, and so he's writing to encourage humility and, and, and with a view towards unity in the church. Philippians chapter 2, he talks about this, this, this fellowship we share in Jesus, this unity. He's really pushing unity, and in Philippians chapter 4. And, and Paul mentions some, some of the problems that the church had, like personal ambitions and rivalries. He's going to talk at the end of the letter about these two ladies who are fighting. He brings it to their attention that they shouldn't do this you know, and just trying to heal these divisions. Third, he's writing to head off some negative teachings and, and the consequences of some false teachers. There were extreme teachings of legalism and something called anonomianism. That's a big word. Let me just explain it. First of all, let's talk about legalism. Everybody knows what that is, right? Because it's still with us today. Legalism is one end of the extreme that, that teaches that it's Jesus plus. <laughs> it's Jesus plus. Yeah, giving your life to Jesus, that's what you need to do. But, but... Watch out for the bots, you know, but you got to do this and this and this and this. And if you're really a Christian, this is going to be your way of life, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But, but grace will birth more of that than legalism ever will. Grace, God's grace to your hearts will cause you to do things that I couldn't get you to do if I just stood here and beat you over the head about it. Look at your own kids, right? 
I mean, how many times do the beatings work? I'm not against spankings. I mean, there are times for it. You know, spare the rod, spoil the child. But the truth is, sometimes lecturing your kids over and over and over and over burns nothing. Sometimes just giving them a hug and saying, you'll figure this out. Okay, go for it. You know, they learn more in the process and end up through that grace being able to find the way they should live and the right way to live. And it's not to say grace at the expense of licentiousness. Certainly not. We teach the Word of God to people. We make sure they understand. But, but legalism is not the answer. And, and sometimes legalists are just afraid. They're afraid that the church is going to run amok. And I sometimes think legalists do it because they're afraid that if they don't push legalism, they will run amok. You know, I heard one person say, but if we don't teach them these things, then, then how are they going to stay in control? Well, since when has it been your job or my job to keep people in control? When? When have we been given the role of the Holy Spirit? God's the one that will keep them in control. We simply share his word with them. Share the truth with them. Don't hold back. Then there was that antinomianism thing, which pushed, this is the other end extreme, that says that, that under grace you're free from civil, moral, and even scriptural laws. You can do what you want. Okay, that's, that's the other extreme. There's a balance to all this, right? Fourth, he's writing to commend Timothy to them, as well as give them a report about his health and his plans for Epaphroditus that they've sent him. Fifth, Paul also writes to thank them for their concern for him and the gifts they'd given him. And please understand that this is a background theme that's really going to be all over this letter, is his thankfulness for their support. They've been supporting Paul in his ministry, even though they haven't been able to afford it at times. They've been supporting the ministry. And, and a lot of that's going to come out in this letter. But overall, this letter was written as a profound expression of Paul's love for them and his fellowship with them, and his desire to encourage them. And those overarching themes of joy, fellowship, encouragement are themes that I think that we can and should glean for us today. Joy, fellowship, encouragement of one another. Listen, there is no greater joy or encouragement that we can find than being together in fellowship with Jesus Christ and with one another. There's no greater joy or encouragement that we will find apart from that, you see. Then there are all the impacting verses we're going to read. I'm just going to read these to you, but you know them. These are the memorable verses. A lot of the memorable verses people quote come out of this book. Philippians 1.6, being confident that this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah, we need that, don't we? We'll talk about that. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Oops, we better line that one out of our Bibles, right? No, it's a highlight. Philippians 2.3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. A beautiful verse. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, I read this one to you all the time. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Or how about Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11? Therefore, God has, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I hear an amen to that one too? Amen. 
Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11, But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You think I'm long-winded? The Apostle Paul made some of the greatest statements in his long-windedness, didn't he? Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Boy, we need that verse tucked away in our hearts, don't we? Because some of us are so wrapped up and stumbled by our past. Paul says, man, I know my past can hold me back, but I'm looking forward to what God is doing in me and will do with me. And how about Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And on and on and on we could go. Isn't this a beautiful book? Just loaded with these things. I can't wait to get into them, and we will get into them when we get back together again. I think that the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians is one of the greatest letters that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. It's one of the shortest books of all the New Testament, only four chapters. It should only take us about four years to get through it, about a year a chapter, right? But it is one of the most powerful. And how can we not chew on this one? I mean, it's just full of stuff, and there's a lot for us to glean in. Joy, fellowship, encouragement, yeah, a little bit of rebuke but mostly joy, fellowship, and encouragement. And the rebuke we get out of it just encourages us even more to run this race. So let's come back next week, and we're going to dig into that first couple of verses and really just see what Paul's heart is as he opens it up to the Philippians. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.